Amen. Thank you. Yes, I promised my wife dinner. I actually going to go out with the Moors for dinner. They promised them dinner as well, right? But we're going to go out with them for dinner. And that was part of the date, part of the reason to get her here. And she ended up getting a wrap on McDonald's on the way up. So I owe you a dinner, Val, all right? <laughs> I owe you a dinner as well, all right? Okay. And you, Hazel, as well, all right? Uh, so so we, we, will, we will get to that in the end. John chapter 9 this evening. John chapter 9. I love John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is the story of the blind man uh, that Jesus heals. And I love the story basically because of this. He's a simple man. And he goes up against... Uh, the, the intellectuals, the university professors, the college teachers of his day. He goes up against all those people with a simple argument based on faith in what he has seen Jesus do. Right? And his argument is just, there's no argument they can, they can bring against it. They just, they just throw him out for doing it. But this man, Bible says, was born blind. Now, <clears throat> I don't know that any of us that are sighted can actually understand what it would like, be like to be blind. Now, when we're babies, we're born uh, what, what they call uh, legally blind. And it means a baby can see about this far. Can see mommy's, just the shapes. See mommy's face. Listen, when you're a few days old, that's all you need to see, isn't it? You need to see mommy. That's all, that's all you need to see. Uh, <clears throat> someone who is born sighted and loses their sight has images in their minds that they can keep, that they can remember. And they say this, that somebody who's born sighted but loses their sight, they dream in pictures. They can see pictures. But somebody who's born blind has no pictures to dream with. They have nothing like that in their heads to actually um, sustain them. And you can imagine, how do you explain to somebody who's never seen a tree what a sycamore tree looks like. Well, it's kind of it's big and it's broad. How do you mean? And, and the leaves on it are green. What's green? And they're, they're, they're variegated. What, what does that mean? They're kind of in and out. What does that mean? And they have these little uh, seeds that swirl around. What do you mean? And... You've no basis for explaining to them anything. They live in a different world than the rest of us. They live in darkness. This man that Jesus is going to deal with was born blind. He'd never seen anything in his life. He didn't understand much about the world. What he could touch and what he could feel gave him some sense of it. But you know what? It didn't give him any understanding of the texture and of the colors and of the hues of it. He was born blind. But do you know this, that each one of us is born blind spiritually. Each one of us is born blind spiritually. Eleanor told her story there, and it's fascinating to me. Before somebody is saved, they're blind to what's going on around them. I was blind. I was totally blind. All I could see was what I wanted. And uh, the fact that Val was saved and born again, I couldn't see it at all. It didn't make any sense to me at all. In fact, I remember getting very frustrated after I got saved. I was explaining the gospel to somebody. And I remember getting very frustrated with them. Because they couldn't see. And it was Pastor Zemeski said to me, 
<laughs> when I was when I was explaining how frustrated I was with them, he said, "Yeah, they're, they're just like you were before you got saved, aren't they?" <laughs> and I thought, "Oh yeah, that's exactly the way I was before I got saved." And you know, the truth is that each one that's not born again is blind. We're talking about things, and you know there's something there, but you can't see it. And here's the reason why. Second Corinthians four three says, "But if our gospel be hid." It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil blinds our minds so that we can't see the gospel. He does that work because he wants to keep us in his little kingdom. He doesn't want us escaping from under his control. And one of the ways he does it is he blinds our minds. Now, if you're here tonight, you're online watching, and you're unsaved, and you're, you know what I'm talking about, because you know what? You really can't work this out. Would you do this? Would you just say, Lord, I'm willing, would you show me? Lord, I'm willing. Just just show me. Just open my eyes. Let me see, Lord. You know that God answers prayer, even for unsaved people. And if you would just in your heart say, Lord, I'm willing. Because we're going to look at some people tonight. And they're blind. they start off blind and they end up blind. And you know why? Because they weren't willing. But if, you're, if you will tell God you're willing tonight, just that much, let him be the one that opens your eyes so that you can see. It's a terrible thing to be born physically blind. But it's a much worse thing to be spiritually blind. Because until you see the gospel, until you come to that place where you're born again, you can't see heaven. You you can't go there. And that is the worst possible fate of all. If you had to live your whole life without ever seeing anything and you went to heaven, you'd be okay. Okay. But if you saw everything the world has to offer and you end your life and you go to hell, that's a disaster. That's the worst disaster there is. See, the biggest problem we have in this world is where we're going to spend eternity. So would you do that? If you don't know Christ as your your Savior, if like Eleanor, you, you can look at the situation and you know you're not born again, would you just say, Lord, I'm willing. Open my eyes, I want to see. Let's pray before we read. Father in heaven, would you bless us now as we look to your word. We thank you, Lord, for our dear sister's testimony. We thank you, Lord, uh, for her being able to communicate so clearly your working in her heart to bring her to the point of salvation. And, oh, Lord, we do ask you now, Lord, would you just work in each one's heart here tonight? Each one that doesn't know you, would you bring them to that sweet place where... Now their eyes are opened and the lights go on and they see and understand the gospel and embrace you. Oh Lord, we plead with you. We ask you to do it because we can't do it. Bless us now. Open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 9. We're going to do what we did last night. We're going to read and um, comment as we go rather than read through the whole 41 verses uh, of the chapter, right? And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Now, the disciples here are, are, are taking up the common thinking of the day. Right? That if you've got a problem in your life, it's because you sinned. It's certainly not a Christian thought. I don't think it's really even a Jewish thought, uh, but it's what, what their popular thinking was uh, in that day. You know, if you've got a problem in your life, it's because you sinned. You sinned, somebody else sinned, it's always a problem. Now, there is a truth in that all of the problems in the world are caused by the curse or caused by sin. But it's not, you can't just draw a straight line between somebody's problem and sin. And sometimes we like to try and do that. And Jesus blows that thought out of the water here. He, he just is not having any of that thought at all. Uh, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest. He said, No. Not this man, not his parents. He was born blind so that I could do what I'm going to do so the works of God could be manifest. Do you know that, that God is never afraid to own the responsibility for what happens in this world? You know, you sometimes hear Christians trying to defend God, trying to, trying to make God look good and trying to say, well, that wasn't God, that was the devil. God is not afraid to actually take on board the responsibility for what he does. In fact, in Exodus 4.11, uh, God tells Moses this, he says, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? But God says all of it uh, is done uh, at his command. All of the problems, all of it. Now you and, I, you and I struggle with that, don't we? You know, I would much sooner say, well, you know, it wasn't God that did it. But you're really left with two choices. You're left with a, with, with, with a God who is good, but not in control. Or a God who is control, but not good. And they're not the choices that we want to make. We have a good God who is in control, but he just sees things much differently than we do. And you and I are never going to be able to work out what exactly God is doing. You may have a problem or a difficulty in your life that, that listen, makes your life difficult. This man's life was difficult. He was a beggar. There was nothing else he could do. He spent his life begging because he was blind. And what Jesus is saying here, he was born blind so that I could show my glory. Now, we need to accept that thought and yet not get swallowed up in the idea uh, that this God is not good. Our God is good. Everything he does is good. You and I can't often see the good that God is doing. I love what Spurgeon said. He said this, Providence is wonderfully intricate. Uh, you want to see through providence, do you not? You never will, I assure you. You have not eyes good enough. You want to see what good that affliction was to you. You must believe it. You want to see how it can bring good to the soul. You may be enabled in a little while, but you cannot see it now. You must believe, honor God by trusting him. And when God brings a difficulty into your life, you honor him by trusting him. Let me give you three thoughts to keep in your mind about God. God loves you. Saved or unsaved tonight, God loves you. God loves, he, God so loved the world. He loves everyone that lives in this world. Now, secondly, God knows what's best for you. Don't you think you know what's best for you? I think I know what's best for me. You know, I, I've got a pretty good idea of what's best for me. What would be best for me was, was there'd be no traffic on the road tonight, and I could have come up here and had a nice dinner and so on, and I wouldn't be in trouble with my wife and, and, and owe her a dinner uh, after this. That would be best for me. But God knows what's best. I don't understand. And here's the thing. You know, I can't see the end of this week. 
I don't know what's going to happen on Friday, do you? We think we do, but we don't know. God not only can see the end of this week, he can see the end of this year. He can see the end of my life. He can see a million years from now. God knows what's going to happen in my family because of the decisions I'm making today hundreds of years from now. Because there's a knock-on effect on all of them. And God is able to work all that out. He knows what's best. There are things he does that I say, Lord, that's, that's not the way I'd have done it. But I've got to come to the place where I say, no, you know what, he knows best. And then we need to know that he has the power to do what's best. God is never in the place where he doesn't have the power to actually work it out. So that when God brings some difficulty into your life, he brings it into your life for a good reason. Sometimes you can't see the good reason. Sometimes later on you will. Sometimes I think in heaven we'll see the good reason. But a good God brings difficulty into our lives for a good reason. Let me help you with this poor man that was born blind, right? This poor man is born blind. We'll say he's 30 years old. We don't know exactly, right? We'll say he's 30 years old. So he's, he was born blind. He's lived for 30 years. He's begged. He's sought. He's uh, looked to, um, <clears throat> uh, to, to make a living the best way he could. And um, he's, he's never seen anything. And then one day he meets Jesus. And all of a sudden, he can see. Do you think he went around the rest of his life saying, that's not fair what God did to me? That's not fair the fact that I couldn't see for 30 years. Not only did he get to see that day, but we're going to see he got to get saved that day too. You know what? I think he spent his, the rest of his life rejoicing that he was born blind so that he could meet Jesus. And you know what I see in so many people's lives? It's the difficulties. It's the problems, it's the pain that drives us to Jesus. We, we, we don't come because of the light so much as we come because of the pain. It's the pain that, 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 that hurts in our lives and it brings us to Jesus. And listen, many of you could tell stories like our sister of how the pain ultimately brought you to Jesus. Now here's the question. I often ask this of the addicts that are in the men's home. You know, addiction is a horrible life. It's a dreadful life for anyone to live. And you say, well, uh, it's by choice. And yes and no is the, is the answer to that. Yes and no, it's by, cho- by choice. Yes, there were initial choices that they made. Uh, but they were young and dumb like the rest of us. And they just got bitten by something that they weren't going to be able to handle. And most of them spent about 20 years living in a tunnel, a dark tunnel of addiction. And I'll say to them, you know, but if you hadn't become an addict, would you ever have gotten saved? And it's a horrible way to come to it, but you know, the truth is for many of them, they never would have gotten saved. They never would have come to know Jesus. And you see, when Jesus does hard things in your life and brings difficulties into your life that press you to him, in the now, in the <clears throat> struggle, it feels very unfair. But in the eternal picture, none of us are going to complain about that. We're going to be glad that he allowed the difficulties into our life. He's a good God. He loves you. He knows what's best. And he has the power to do what's best in your life. As Spurgeon says, you have to trust him. Even if you can't see it, you have to trust him. You have to trust this good God that he's doing things right in your life, right? Verse 6, though. uh, Jesus gives him sight. When he had thus spoken, 
He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. Now, he spat on the ground, uh, he made uh, mud, and he anointed the guy's eyes with it. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. I think really, though, that the reason he did this was uh, because the Pharisees were watching him. It was the Sabbath day. And um, he was not going to bow uh, to their taboos because they were just waiting to catch him out on something. Now, you you can disagree with me on that because the Bible doesn't say that, but that's why I think uh, that he did it. Um, And then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Can you imagine that moment for this man? By the way, it took faith, didn't it? It took faith to let somebody rub muck in your eyes, first of all. I mean, you've got enough problems you can't see. You don't want somebody rubbing muck, uh, muck mixed with spittle uh, in your eyes. Uh, it took faith for him to go and do what he was told and wash in the pool Siloam. And then for the first time in his life, he saw those eyes that had never allowed any light in, that had never seen anything, all of a sudden... He could see everything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that moment when he just realized? The darkness is gone. The light has come. It's all different now. For the first time in his life, he saw. But let me say this at this point too. You know, Jesus healed this man born blind uh, with muck and spit. On another occasion, he healed a man with spit just. Uh, from being blind. On another man, the Bible says that he spat in his eyes. Right? Uh, on another occasion, he just spoke to him and he was healed. Here's the point I want to make to you. Don't expect God to do the same thing every time. We heard a testimony tonight. We heard a, another testimony last night. God did things differently in each of their lives. And when it comes to God saving a soul and reaching out and touching somebody and bringing them to that place where they need to be saved, listen, we are all very different and he does it in all very different ways in our lives. Don't get a picture of what God did in somebody else's life and try and import that to your life. It won't work like that. God will do something different in your life. You know, Some people get great feelings and tremendous things happen and they feel completely different immediately. I prayed beside my bed, jumped into bed. And went to sleep as quick as I could, so I wouldn't have to tell Val uh, what had happened. <clears throat> and um, uh, the next morning, though, I felt different. But there was no great <clears throat> uh, angel choir singing or anything like that. It was just, you know, it happened. And God deals with each one of us in different ways. I think sometimes we get hung up because we get a pattern, don't we? Oh, here's the way it's supposed to be, and, and, the, and this is the way it is. And, and we want everybody to see it the same way. And, and if it doesn't happen the same way for us, we're doubting. No, listen. God saves you. You know you're saved. You know, uh, when you were born again the first time, uh, if I were to ask you about your birth and about how, how your time in the womb was, not one of you have an idea. If I were to ask you about your birth, you could probably tell me what your mother told you, uh, but you don't remember that either. But if I was to say to you, you know what, listen, well, uh, I'm not sure since you can't remember it that you were, you were really born, you'd laugh, wouldn't you? Because you're here. The reality is, listen, when God works in somebody's life to bring them to the new birth, they know they're his. They may not be able to explain it with time and with all that you want them to explain it. Uh, You know, as far as my testimony goes, I pieced my testimony together after I was saved. See, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're born again. 
That's real. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Uh, That's the most exciting moment in your life. That's the moment when your eyes were opened and you began to see spiritual things. And you began to understand. Isn't it amazing? One moment the gospel is nonsense. And all of a sudden, you trust Christ as your Savior and the gospel becomes the greatest message the world has ever seen. It becomes the most magnificent truth. It becomes the truth. I, I, I know for me, as soon as I got saved, I thought everybody else was going to get saved too. Because listen, I'd seen it. It was true. I was missing the fact that they were spiritually blind and they couldn't see it. And <clears throat> When you come to the place where you understand uh, spiritual things, that's because the Spirit of God is working in you. And it doesn't happen in a cookie-cutter fashion. Everybody the same way. Don't expect it to. Let God do his work. Let God do his work in bringing you to himself. This man was given his sight, and um, uh, he was given it differently to other people. And I think there's a lesson for us to learn there, right? Uh, God doesn't do it all the same way. The experience is not the same for everybody. Imagine, though, this man never having seen anything, now he sees. I mean... His life lit up that day, literally, and within him as well. He could see. He could see all of a sudden. Uh, And so the the neighbors, therefore, and they which had seen him, sorry, we're looking at verse 8, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. So the neighbors are looking at him, but hang on a minute. We've known you for 30 years. You've stumbled around or walked with somebody holding your arm for 30 years, and now you walk up and you see. And they're looking at him and they're saying, is it really him? Maybe it's his brother. Maybe it's somebody else. Uh, they can't believe it is. And he says, <clears throat> he says, I am he. I am the man that sat begging. Uh, <clears throat> Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes open? And I love verse 11. To me, it's one of those sweetest verses in the Bible. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. A man that is called Jesus. No questioning about it. No doubting about it. No wondering about it. Listen, this is what happened. This is his testimony. A man that is called Jesus uh, anointed my eyes and he told me to go wash and I did, and now I see. It's simple. You're, he, he's, he, he doesn't have to be convinced. He's not trying to convince anybody. He's just stating the facts. He's stating the, the bare facts. They said unto him, where is he? And he said, I know not. Remember, he's never seen Jesus yet. He's never seen Jesus. He's, he's, he was blind. Jesus healed him, and he hasn't encountered Jesus yet. All he knows is it was a man And he's called Jesus, and he anointed my eyes, and now I see. So so then he's brought before the Pharisees. Now remember, the Pharisees are those who hold the kingdom as far as they're concerned. Jesus is an upstart, no-name rabbi that's doing miracles, that's speaking with authority, and that is eroding their power and their place. And they are already upset with him. You know, in John chapter 2, he went in and he cleansed the temple. He, temple. Uh, he threw them all out of the temple. All the money they were making and everything else didn't matter to him. He threw them all out of that. They're, they're pretty upset with him. Now, they're not as upset as they're going to get with him. 
But they're pretty upset with him already. And so uh, the Pharisees do not want to believe in Jesus. Now catch that, because that's really important in this thing. They do not want to believe in Jesus. They've set their hearts that if they would believe in Jesus, it would upend our whole worlds and everything would be finished for them. And they do not want to believe in Jesus. So their whole effort is going to be somehow to deny what this poor soul knows is a fact. A man that is called Jesus anointed my eyes and told me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam and I did and now I see. Simple. End of story. Uh, what, What else can you say about it? Right, so they bring him in. And in verse 13, uh, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened, it, opened his eyes. And that's one of the reasons that I think that the reason he made clay that, uh, on that occasion was because it was the Sabbath day. Um, because <clears throat> what he was doing is, you, you see, they had decided that even healing on the Sabbath day was wrong. And Jesus said, hang on a minute, if your cow falls into a ditch, you're going to take him out of the ditch on the Sabbath day? Of course it's right for me to take and heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And so what he's constantly doing is he's challenging their thinking because they're wrong. And so uh, uh, it was the Sabbath day, verse 15. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. And the Pharisees refuse to believe what Jesus, that Jesus did. They refuse to believe the evidence. Now catch this. Faith is not an emotion. Don't we sometimes think about faith as those feeling that kind of comes over me and, and I believed. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is a choice. You're not responsible for your emotions. But God makes you responsible for your choices. And faith is a choice. Choosing to believe that Jesus can save is a choice that you make. These men, these Pharisees, have made the choice not to believe. And it's evident from all that they say. Verse 16, Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Uh, They say to the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. So here's the thing. They're not going to believe that Jesus healed him because he's a sinner. Because he doesn't follow their rules. Right? They're not going to believe that Jesus healed him. And, and they don't even believe the man. This poor man's been born blind. He's lived blind all his life. He's in, he's in the glory of his first day seeing. He's telling them about it. And they're saying, no, we won't believe. You see, it's a choice. And because of their choice not to believe, they found all the reasons in the world not to believe. You know, I've, I've seen people do that. I've seen people do that. Fight with the evidence, so that they didn't believe. Fight with the evidence and, and, and fight against it. And it's, it, it's incredible. I have someone in my life, someone who I've witnessed to over and over again and, and has been witnessed to over and over again and has come this close to salvation sometimes. But again and again, she goes back to fighting with the evidence. Why? Because she doesn't want to believe. She doesn't want to believe. Now you keep praying for somebody like that and you keep hoping and you keep trying. But you know what? 
If somebody doesn't want to believe, they're going to find all the reasons in the world not to believe. That's what the Pharisees did. So what they do is they, they, they won't believe that Jesus did it. They're not going to believe that it even happened. Uh, and then uh, in, in verse 19, uh, they call his parents in. And, 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 and they ask them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But what, by what means he seeth, we know not. Who hath opened his eyes? We, uh, we, we, we know not who hath opened his eyes. Uh, because here's the problem for the parents. The Pharisees had already agreed that if anybody said that Jesus was the Messiah, he got kicked out of the, temple, out of the um, synagogue. And that was big stuff. That was your family. That was your friends. That was your commercial interests all shut off to you. It was a pretty serious deal. And there's, there's, there's a manipulation going on to make sure we're not going to believe. Right? And anybody that does believe, we're going to put out. So these poor parents, I mean, I feel for them. Their son was born blind. They've lived with, the, with this son who was supposed to grow up and take care of himself and hopefully in the end look after them. But they've lived with him as a dependent all his life. And today, a miracle happened. And he's saying that Jesus did it. And, 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 and they must have been overjoyed in their hearts. But they're afraid. Here's another reason people don't believe. Because there's a cost involved. There's always a cost involved when you come to Christ. There's always those people that react to you. There are always those people that look at you and you, know, and, and you, you become a traitor to them. Because you were on their side and now you're not anymore. There are always those people who will try and you know, pour cold water on, uh, on the ardor of your uh, newfound faith. And, and you know what? Before people get saved, they, they know that. I remember speaking to one man and he said, <clears throat> I was born a Catholic and I'll die a Catholic. And that was the end of it. He was not, he was not going to listen uh, to it. And the reason being that he had uh, his synagogue, he had his religion, he had his fam family, and, he, and he, he wasn't going to put them out. These parents are in that place where, you know what, they've seen a miracle. They've seen something happen that, you know what, no doctor, nobody could do up to this point. And Jesus walks in and with some spit and some muck, he, he, he heals their son so that he can see. And really they should be saying, listen, Jesus did it and we're believing him. You see, they believed the evidence because they saw it. But there's no way they were going to go all the way with it because of the cost. And maybe somebody listening tonight is thinking that, you know, if I get saved, people will turn against me. And you know what? Some people probably will. That's often what happens. But you know what? If you get saved, you have no idea who might come to Christ through your testimony. I think our sister could probably tell a story about her mother and her sister uh, coming to salvation. Because I don't think they were candidates at the beginning at all. It didn't sound like they were ready for that at all. But you know what happens? When somebody steps out and trusts Jesus, you have no idea what the Spirit of God is going to do in other people's lives. 
You've no way of knowing who's going to turn. You've no way of knowing whose heart appears as hard as flint to you that he's going to come in and he's going to break them down to. But you know what? You have to step out in faith there. Because here's the reality. I don't know about these parents. I don't know whether they came to know Jesus later on. <clears throat> I, uh, some questions are not answered for us in the Bible. I, but, you know, <clears throat> um, I hope they did. But if they didn't, they paid the price of it in hell. And you know what? When the choice is between offending people and heaven, I think the choice heaven is always the best choice. I think that choice is always the best choice. Even if somebody's going to scorn you, laugh at you, and mock you, and when it's all said and done, you get to go to heaven. It's worth it. But you know what? What you really find is that when you make that step of faith, well, maybe you're the first one in your family that makes that step of faith. You've no idea what the Lord is going to do and how your testimony is going to affect others and how other people are going to come to know Jesus as their Savior too. You've got to step out. You've got to trust him, even though people will not be happy. Right? <clears throat> There's a cost. And these, these parents, what they're doing is they're hedging their bets. They're saying, well, you know what? Oh, listen, he's our son. He was born blind. We don't know how at all. You better go ask him. Ask him yourselves. Uh, <clears throat> Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So they interrogated him again. Right? So verse 24. And then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Right? <clears throat> Here we go. I mean, this is, this is called a loaded question. Right? The only answer to this one is, well, if I'm going to give God the praise, then I better say, this man is a sinner. They have decided, they are judge, jury, and executioner, and they have decided, and they've loaded it more, because this man knows, if I, go, if I stick with my story, I'm getting kicked out of the synagogue. If I stick with my story, I am going to be in trouble. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not one thing I know, that whereas I was, born bl- whereas I was blind, now I see. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I do know this, though. I was blind, and now I see. Now, what he's doing is, he's giving a simple, logical argument now that is indefeatable. There's nothing you can do with this argument he's going to give. Then said they unto him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Now, I wonder if was he being smart with them there. <clears throat> Will ye also be his disciples? Right? Uh, then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence uh, he is. See the hatred that's there? And here's, here's what happens. When people come close and don't receive reject, they end up hating. They end up putting a big barrier between them and God. They they, they end up getting kind of twisted almost. I mean, the Pharisees are really twisted. 
You know, in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus comes to the tomb. Lazarus has been in the tomb for days. He stinks, his sister says. And Jesus stands and has them roll back the stone from the tomb. And he calls Lazarus forth. And Lazarus hobbles out in his grave clothes. And Jesus says, release him. Let him go. And that was, now that was a knockdown, drag out miracle. That was just an amazing power that was seen. Because of that miracle, many believed on Jesus. So you know what the Pharisees decided in John chapter 12? They decided, let's, let's kill him again. Because what he's doing is, he's causing trouble. Uh, he's making many people believe. And so so maybe, maybe we should just kill him. I mean, how wicked is that? <laughs> I mean, they are twisted, partially at least, because they refuse to believe. And you'll find that sometimes. You'll find people can get very hard when they refuse to believe. But remember... It's not about they can't believe. It's not about they, don't, they, they, they can't have faith. It's not about they've never had that feeling come over them that, that gives them faith. The Spirit's faithful to convince men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You can be, you can be sure he's doing that. You, by the way, I think when you pray for somebody, that's what the Spirit does. He, he shows them their sin. He shows them their need. But he never forces somebody to get saved. He's not going to force you to get saved. You have a free choice, a free will. You see, God loved you and Jesus died for you to save you from hell and to reconcile you to him. And God doesn't want a relationship with you that's just forced. You have to choose it. You have to come to that place where you choose it. And these Pharisees, they've chosen not. They've, they've decided no. They've decided there's no way we're going at this. It would cost us too much. Our, our, our livelihood, our homes, our, our position, all would be gone. We're, we're not going with this. So whatever it takes, we're going to make sure that we find some way to discredit him and you know, make sure he's not the Messiah. Up to and including having him crucified to prove that he was wrong and they were right. And it's just the decision that they made. They were not going to go with it. So he says, will you also be his disciples? And they revile him. Right? Uh, the man answered in verse 30 and said unto them, why hearing is a marvelous thing. Now, listen, I don't think he'd ever been to school. I don't think he'd ever had the benefit of sitting in a classroom. Uh, he was blind. But he wasn't a fool. And he could think. And sometimes I think, you know, <clears throat> we... We don't give simple people credit enough for their ability to think. But this man can think. So here we have the intelligentsia, the college professors, uh, the most, the, the, the most knowledgeable and educated people in Israel standing before him and saying, give God the glory. Uh, this man is a sinner and you know it. And, he, and the man answered and said unto them, why well, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? And by the way, giving sight to the blind is one of the signs that was prophesied about the Messiah. He would give sight to the blind. And that wasn't something people generally did. That wasn't something that was possible. He would give sight to the blind. And um, he's, he, he's reckoning on that fact. You know, well, since the word began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. What a simple, clear, logical argument. 
There's no answer to it. There's nothing you can really say. Anyone who's open-minded is going to say, you know what, that's right. There's got to be something here. Anyone who's got a, got a, got a, a desire to believe has got to come to the conclusion, yeah, he's right. Can I say this to you too? When it comes to salvation, anybody who's really open has got to come to the place where they say, yes, this is the truth. You can fight with it. The Pharisees fought with it. You, you can hide from it like the parents did. But you've got to come to the place if you're honest and if you're open where you say, this is true. What do you think changed our sister's life? What do you think changed our sister's life from last night? Do, do you think they just changed because they thought it was a good idea? That doesn't work. You're hearing testimonies all through this week of people whose lives have been changed by the entrance of a person into their lives. That's evidence. You're hearing the word of God. That's more evidence. You're saying, well, you know what? I need a miracle like that guy that was born blind. No, you don't. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16. He said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear though one rose from the dead. Miracles don't do it for people who don't want to believe. And people who want to believe don't need miracles. People who want to believe, believe on the basis of the faith. And you know what happens? What happens is if you believe, you see miracles. You see God do miracles. You see God do amazing things. But if you don't want to believe, you can't see it. You see, it's a choice. These men have made a choice, and this, uh, this blind man ha- has made a choice too. Then they show their pride. Uh, in John, verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and thus thou teach us, and they cast him out. Now, they're harking back to what the disciples asked. Who, who, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? Right. And um, you're born blind, that means you're a sinner. Therefore, uh, you're going to teach us, and we're holy. And you see their pride? And you see the pride of self-righteousness, how it prevents people from seeing? You see, they have no argument. There's no argument that you can actually put up against them. So what they do is they scorn him, and, and they, they, they tell him that, you know, he was born blind, he's a sinner, and, and they're not. They're, they're, they're good people. They, they believe on Moses. They're convinced of it. You're the hardest people to reach. Self-righteous people. People like me. People who think they're too good to need to get saved. Nothing is impossible with God. But those are the hardest people to reach. And if you're in that place tonight where, you, where, you've, where you've been raised to be good and you may be a good neighbor, you may be the nice kind of person to have around, you may be somebody that's a blessing, you may think well of yourself and others may think well of yourself. Of you humbling yourself and saying, I'm a sinner, I need to get saved. is all the harder. But it's absolutely essential. Remember Nicodemus? Good man. A holy man. A sacrificial man. A scriptural man. A man of prayer. A man that gave. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And if you're caught up in your self-righteousness, oh, you need to flee to Jesus. Because you look at the scripture. Jesus goes after self-righteousness more than he goes after any other sin. 
He just goes after because you know what? It's such a barrier. I think Jesus loved the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he scorches them. He scorches them. He calls them a generation of vipers and hypocrites. And he, he, he listen, he, he turns over every stone that they've hidden a sin under and he shows it all and exposes it all to everybody. And I mean, he, he's not talking in a calm voice when he talks. He's, listen, he is going for it. But I think he's going for it in love because they needed a bomb to shake them off their self-righteousness. And if you're caught in self-righteousness tonight, you need to humble yourself. You're not that good. None of us are. Listen, everyone that's ever been born into this world is a sinner needing a savior, including you. Don't let that stand between you and God. And then the man born blind believes on Jesus. Jesus heard, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? You see, it wasn't complete yet, because he'd never seen Jesus. So Jesus goes and finds him. He says, Dost thou believe on the name of the Son of God, on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? This man was willing to believe. This man had seen a miracle in his own life and he was ready to believe. He had decided ahead of time, listen, I'm ready to believe, listen, uh, uh, I'm ready to believe. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He trusted Jesus Christ. Again, he didn't know all you and I know. He couldn't see the cross He couldn't see the tomb. He couldn't see the empty tomb. He couldn't see the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. He couldn't see all that. But he knew he had a need. And he knew Jesus was the answer. And he trusted him. The Pharisees had a need. But they wouldn't recognize it. And they wouldn't trust him. And they paid an awful price for it. Don't let that be you. You see, you can choose to believe or you can choose to reject, but you can't choose the consequences of your choice. You say, I'm not rejecting. I'm just sitting on the fence. No. When Jesus comes and touches you and presents evidence to you and calls you to make a decision, you're not sitting on the fence. You're either receiving or you're rejecting. Let me illustrate it for you. If I, if I come to you with a gift and you say, no, you're not taking it, haven't you just rejected it? Listen, salvation is a gift that God offers and you have to receive it. And if you refuse to receive it, you're rejecting it. If you refuse to say yes to him, what you're doing is you're rejecting, you're saying no. And I know we like to think, ah, oh, it's not so hard. Maybe some other day. No. You know what? Today is the day. Today is the acceptable hour. Today is the day of salvation in your life. So let me close by saying this to you. First of all, faith is a choice. Don't say you can't believe. That's just not true. It's a choice. You, you, you can feel perfectly free to say, Lord, I want this. Just help me, Lord. I, I, I can't see. I don't know. You, you can feel perfectly free to call out to him and ask him, but you can't say, I can't believe. The Pharisees chose not to believe. They decided they weren't going to believe. They decided a long time ago they weren't going to believe. His parents were afraid of the cost of believing. 
even though they knew Jesus had given them sight. And maybe there's somebody listening tonight who's like that. You're, you know it's true, and yet you're afraid because you know there's going to be a price tag on it. You know somebody's going to look at you and maybe laugh. Somebody's going to scorn you. Somebody's maybe going to not want to be around you anymore. Your, your life's going to change. By the way, you don't have to change your life. Jesus will change your life. And by the way, when he changes your life, you don't miss anything he takes out of it. You really don't. I've never, never met anybody who said, yeah, well, I got saved, and you know what? Then I couldn't do this and this and this. That, that's not what happens. What happens is when you get saved, God begins to change your life, and things change, and your heart is rejoicing in what he's doing in your life. He always changes you for the good. The blind man said, I believe. He believed the evidence, just simple faith. Simple faith. He believed the evidence. I mean, it was very simple for him. I was blind. Now I see. Oh, you, you're the son of God. I believe. It was simple. We make it so difficult on ourselves. We want to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and we want to know everything and understand from Genesis to Revelation. You don't need any of that. Oh, that will all come as the Holy Spirit opens it up to you. What you need is to trust. You're a sinner. Jesus is a great Savior. And he's calling on you to trust him. And when you do that, he's there. He lived, he died, and he rose again so that you could believe. And he leaves the choice in your hands. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to choose to believe? Or are you going to refuse? You've been given this wonderful, amazing thing called a free will. You can choose to believe, or you can choose not to. What you can't choose is the consequences of a refusal to believe. You're not able to choose that. That's separation from God forever. I plead with you. Right now, where you sit, choose to believe. Call out to him from your heart and choose to believe. I stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this evening and for your word. And we thank you for this blind man and how you so gently and so carefully and so lovingly dealt with him. And Lord, we thank you for the picture that you give us all around this situation. Lord, for that one that is struggling right now with that decision, Lord, I pray that they would just give in, that they would yield and they would trust you. Thank you, Lord, for doing your work of convincing men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And now, Lord, may people respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen.